Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Home Abstract and Title Company was founded in 1867 and is the oldest company still operating in McLennan County. Home Abstract is comprised of a team of honest, friendly, hardworking professionals dedicated to providing both commercial and residential real estate clients with the highest level of communication and service. Their team is committed to working hard and building and maintaining strong relationships because transactions are so much more than just deals. They are clients deserving of the courtesy, care and respect that Home Abstract and Title Company is known for. Visit Home Abstract and Title Company at homeabstract.com. Cross the Brazos and Waco. I'm safe when I reach San Welcome back to the Waco History Podcast. This is part of our ongoing Crossroads series, the brainchild of uh, Rick Tullis and me, Stephen Sloan. And uh, we're having back, I think, officially now our most frequent guest uh, on the program. Dr. Parrish has been with us twice, so there's two episodes I would encourage you to go listen to to get a little background on Dr. Parrish. One uh, his work on uh, Dory Miller, his book on Doris Miller, which is a great read uh, if you're looking for something to read on local history. Uh, and secondly, he was on to talk about his uh, work on the uh, Committee on Historic Representations that uh, Baylor, that process that Baylor underwent a couple of years ago. And those are great uh, podcast entries that I would encourage you to go back in the catalog and see. But today we're here to talk about for the Crossroads series, Waco is a military crossroads. And so we've kind of taken different aspects, right, Rick? That's right. That's right. So this is another cut at the crossroads, so to speak. And uh, and, and surprisingly, uh, Waco's got a rich history, military history, although we would probably look around today in modern times and not realize it as much. Yeah, and so Dr. Parrish has... Uh, his, he's got expertise in several different areas, but the heart, the heart of his wheelhouse is 19th century U.S. history. And so I'm going to ask Dr. Parrish to start us off. And if we want to start talking about Waco as a military crossroads, Mike, where would we start? Well, the obvious uh, place to start, of course, is Fort Fisher, uh, which is now the uh, location of the Texas Ranger Hall of Fame and Museum. It was established uh, in 1837, but existed only briefly for a few months um, because it was deemed um, by the uh, Secretary of of War of the Republic of Texas, whose name was Fisher, uh, too remote to do much (laughs) good at all, and so it was uh, quickly abandoned. But... uh, the name was revived, of course, when uh, the Texas Ranger Hall of Fame was, was established there, I believe, in the 1960s. Yeah, I got it, uh, it opened in 1968. And 
And I think uh, one of the common themes, at least for the reincarnated Fort Fisher, that that I think we're going to see with a lot of uh, uh, these these military crossroads was there was a uh, there was a profit motive, there was an economic development motive, mm-hmm. certainly in the recreation of the tourist destination, Fort Fisher. Probably not the original Fort Fisher, other than to keep people alive on the frontier. But uh, yeah, the uh, looks like uh, local businessmen and chambers. So think about in the '60s, the interstates cutting through, mm-hmm. and um, they they saw the opportunity to create a tourist stop on the it's way. It's easy, easy off, easy on uh, stop. And, and Waco's looking for tourist destinations. I would think at that yeah. point, yeah, well, I mean, we didn't have a lot of them. And um, uh, when you when you look at us now, which it blows most people's minds to think about. We we have more people visit Waco, specifically the silos, than the uh, Alamo. So that's uh, kind of crazy to think that Waco. And you that can't big of a see this, but we all stood up and saluted when uh, <laughs> when Rick said the Alamo. Oh, I thought we were saluting at the silos. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They both end with an O. So we can do both. Whatever. Yeah. And. Uh, uh, Rick, you've talked about the Santa Fe expedition. Uh, well, before you run to yeah, that, yeah, go ahead. I, I, I've uh, I've read a couple passages before out of this 1876 handbook, mm-hmm. specifically George E. Rath's uh, reminiscences, and he was he was on that uh, he was with that group. So, oh, okay. So I thought it'd be appropriate. Yeah. To, what to, was it like to read a couple of sentences from someone who was there? So if you'll bear with me, and uh, and I quote: In the fall of 1836, a battalion of Rangers was organized and one company under the command of Captain T.H. Barron was stationed at the Falls of the Brazos. So for those of you who don't know, the Falls of the Brazos is in? Uh, it's in Falls County. Yeah. In Falls County yeah, yeah. at Marlin, just, mm-hmm. just uh, south of Marlin. Of this company, the writer was a subaltern officer. We were ordered early in 1837 to establish a fort at Waco Village. We were, uh, we were three weeks coming up, having found it necessary to cut a road and build a bridge over Cow Bayou. We expected to occupy the per- the fort permanently. Waco was in possession of Buffalo and only a short time before had been vacated by the Waco Indians. Cornstalks were found in the fields they had cultivated and peach trees were growing where the city now stands. We built some shanties for barracks near the big spring of the river, uh, but only remained there three weeks when an order came from the Secretary of War for us to return to the falls as we were too far out to provide good service. There you go. So it was a three-week expedition, mm-hmm. and uh, and basically uh, they went back, calling the place they had left Fort Fisher. Um, well, and <clears throat> it wasn't too long after that that Waco, as a community, began to to coalesce um, in the late eighteen. 18- 30s and uh, was incorporated or late 1840s and incorporated in 1856 by 1860 Waco had a, a booming population of 1,000 and McLennan County as a whole uh, about 8,000 about half white and half slave mm-hmm. and Mike I know you you taught um, a lot of Civil War history um, during your years at Baylor. Um, I mean, how should we think about Waco kind of during the Civil War? Well, we should think of Waco as um, a, a southern town. Uh, in fact, a town in the Deep South. 
uh, settled by Southerners, uh, black and white. Um, amazingly, um, uh, when the call was made from local leaders to join the Confederate war effort, uh, about 2,200 men volunteered, a total of 17 units from McLennan County. And uh, many of those men included students at um, the fledgling Waco University, mm -hmm. wh whose, whose president was uh, Rufus Burleson. Burleson had come from Baylor in Washington County after a, a spat with a, a fellow administrator there and brought the entire male class with him. And when um, the Civil War erupted, he insisted that all of them uh, join the Confederate Army, and he did too. He uh, joined uh, Joseph Spate's 15th uh, Infantry Regiment as a chaplain. Hmm. He was a gung-ho Confederate. <laughs> and Waco remained a... Uh, very much a southern town and uh, still is in many respects, of course, and very much a Confederate town celebrating the lost cause, uh, the memory of the Confederacy. I think one of the interesting things about, uh, about those numbers, it's about 35% of the uh, population. So put it in today's terms, it would be mm -hmm. like us having a call to arms and about 95,000 people in McLennan County, sh McLennan County showing up to, uh, to the muster grounds. Yeah. Which were, uh, uh, the, the drill grounds are near, near Bosqueville, right? Yeah. You know, Civil War drill grounds. And during the Civil War, Waco had a manufacturing plant that produced Confederate uniforms, but more importantly, it, produced uh, leadership for the Confederacy hmm. in the form of uh, six Confederate generals and numerous other officers. Those Confederate generals included uh, Lawrence Sullivan Saul Ross of Ross's Texas Brigade, uh, James Harrison of the 8th Texas Cavalry, uh, commander of uh, uh, Terry's Texas Rangers. He had a couple of brothers, Richard and Thomas, who were also Confederate generals. <clears throat> Hiram Granberry was a local attorney mm -hmm. who was also a, a brigade commander. And um, here in Waco, um, uh, Felix Robertson of Washington County was eventually buried, but he was um, a commander of uh, Hood's Texas Brigade. Mm. So the, um, the record of, of leadership um, by Wacoans for the uh, Confederate war effort is highly impressive. Yeah, and I, I always note that that's one of the things we foreground. Uh, our our city historical marker is pretty lousy. If you've ever seen it, it's mm. it's on Heritage Square there, and it's about uh, it's about as long as a tweet. But it it take it's long enough to list all our Confederate generals. So it's a it's a, an interesting read there. Let me mention um, a few other names. Um, uh, Captain Richard Koch uh, served with uh, Spates, uh, 15th Texas Infantry, and uh, later became um, 
a prominent attorney here in Waco after the war and was the first uh, Democratic, that is Democratic Party uh, governor elected after Reconstruction. And another very, very interesting commander was Colonel uh, William Parsons, um, who was a Confederate uh, cavalry commander and um, uh, who had a younger brother named Albert Parsons. They were both uh, zealous uh, uh, Confederate uh, officers, and but after the war, during Reconstruction, they became radical Republicans. Mm. And uh, most famously, Albert Parsons married um, uh, Lucy Gonzalez Parsons, a former slave, and both of them were persecuted so badly by the uh, the white people of Waco who hated Reconstruction uh, that they were run out of town and they went to Chicago and ended up uh, leading the radical labor movement there. And uh, Albert Parsons was, in fact, one of the um, uh, Haymarket uh, martyrs oh, wow. executed um, uh, in the uh, alleged conspiracy of the Haymarket riot. Mm. Oh, really interesting. You know, not to be too much of a Georgie Rath fanboy, but uh, <laughs> I also want to point out um, in his writings, he talks about at the time he uh, he ends up leading a company of men to basically do home defense, right? So, so as the uh, what what little um, federal protection was here on the frontier, because really Waco was still pretty close to the frontier mm-hmm. at that point, and. Uh, so they, they, the Confederates, the, you know, the Texas forces had to muster some men to go protect the, the outlying areas. So uh, he spent uh, at least the first part of the war here doing that. And so um, you, know, you got to think about in 1860, although he'd done a lot of Texas rangering in his life, mm-hmm. uh, he, he was probably getting a little, uh, a little further up there yeah. at that point. Yeah. After the war, um, during Reconstruction, of course, um, uh, the federal army, the United States uh, military, had a presence um, uh, throughout Texas, including Waco. Uh, there were a few dozen, about 40 to 50 Union soldiers uh, stationed here in Waco on Jackson Avenue between 1st and 2nd Streets. And they were um, present in Waco to help the Freedmen's Bureau um, advanced the um, opportunities, the education, and civil rights of African Americans who were now uh, free and um, were demanding um, full rights of citizenship. Um, there were there was violence during Reconstruction, and uh, Waco was uh, included in that in that violence. Um, a couple of pretty nasty riots uh, involving um, the uh, Texas State Police, the uh, radical reconstruction uh, force that was working with United States uh, troops and the Freedmen's Bureau to advance the cause of black black civil rights. And um, the the state police included black um, policemen um, who were, were former slaves. They, state police also in, included um, Hispanics, 
as well as uh, pro-union, pro-reconstruction whites. And so there was a lot of turmoil in Waco mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and throughout Texas and the rest of the South uh, during Reconstruction. Yeah, I remember reading, and I don't, I don't remember the exact rule, but if you served at a certain level in the Confederate uh, forces, you weren't allowed to hold a public office during Reconstruction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, if, right. if you think about what that does to you um, from a from a leadership perspective in a city, because most of those people were your natural leaders mm-hmm. and had probably been a leader before um, before the war started, and um, so I, I could see where that would create challenges when you've when you've kind of sidelined all these people who know how to run things, you know. Well, and they still have a lot of capital, so yeah, yeah, they still have the money. Um, so, uh, Mike, anything else? Uh, let's say post Reconstruction, eighties, nineties, eighteen eighties, eighteen nineties. We should think about. Well, the population of Texas uh, was booming. Texas escaped um, the ravages of war, unlike uh, the rest of the Lower South, and. Um, uh, people were flocking to Texas, again, mainly from the South, especially the Lower South. And so, in many ways, Texas, including Waco, became more Southern than ever. Uh, it had relied on cotton uh, for its uh, economic uh, prosperity, uh, cotton grown by slaves uh, before the war. And after the war, it continued to rely on, on a cotton-based economy. And um, many of the, the people working in the fields up and down the Brazos River, River Valley and throughout the, uh, the, the heaviest cotton-producing areas of Texas were, of course, sharecroppers, mm-hmm. um, uh, mainly black sharecroppers, but also white sharecroppers. And so the, the pattern of um, the exploitation of labor uh, continued on. Uh, after after Reconstruction. The population of Waco in 1870 had grown to 3,000, 1880, 7,000, 1890, 14,000. And more and more, Waco was becoming a, 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 a genuine, uh, growing urban area. Well, and Mike, you'd mentioned earlier the, the textile business that started uh, in, during the war mm-hmm. um, with the mills that were making uniforms and and gear for the Confederates, uh, that that really picked up too uh, yeah. after the war. I mean, it became mm-hmm. a, a milling and um, uh, became a major part of our economy. Um, yeah, as, as the and it makes sense, right? I mean, you, vertical markets. You got you your got cotton grown in the field. Yeah. You know, get them right to the mills and get them processed and add more value, and then ship them to markets. Mm-hmm. The uh, I mentioned earlier the uh, Confederate identity of, of of Texas and, and Waco. Um, in 1893, Rufus Burleson, who was still president of Baylor, um, insisted that uh, Waco memorialize the, uh, the memory of the lost cause, and he arranged to have the first official Confederate monument in Texas <laughs> erected in Oakwood Cemetery. Mm. And uh, it's an obelisk uh, made of granite and still stands today in the so-called Confederate section of, uh, of Oakwood Cemetery, which includes the graves of uh, uh, several dozen uh, former Confederates. He uh, arranged and orchestrated 
uh, a parade <laughs> of uh, Vader students, uh, male and female and Waco citizens uh, that began on the Vader campus and went down Fifth Street. So the next, next time you go down Fifth Street, imagine that parade mm. uh, that went across LaSalle and into the main entrance of, Wake, of uh, Oakwood Cemetery. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that process of memorialization, uh, yeah, I mean, extremely important as we talked about on the on the other podcast that, that we did together. Um, well, I don't want to skip ahead on you guys, but uh, I, I know so much of the 20th century story of kind of Waco's military history. Um, Camp MacArthur's a pretty fabulous one, uh, pretty fascinating one. Uh, what do you, I know what I find fascinating about that story. What do you guys find interesting about it? Well, being a, uh, <clears throat> being a businessman at heart, I love the, the idea that, that there were some forefathers that saw that as an opportunity. And, mm-hmm. and you know, of course, you hate to see a war coming and brewing and all that's going to take, but there was some foresight uh, and some, some uh, lobbying in D.C., and that led... Uh, um, you know, led led to the the federal government looking at uh, putting putting Camp MacArthur here in Waco. Um, and it makes sense from an economic development standpoint. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're pretty much you're going to double the population of your city. That's more people. Today we talk about heads and beds, right? We talk about tourism. Mm-hmm. We want to get heads and beds and people spending money. That's what's going to drive the economy. And and uh, a little bit more here, you you get the heads and beds, but you also get a ton of infrastructure, mm-hmm. an infrastructure that a lot of it the legacy of it still exists in our community. I'll, I'll, I'll maybe I'll touch on some of that in a second, but um, it's, it's, uh, it, it was incredible forethought from an economic development standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, it was a huge project. Um, of course, what, what you may be thinking about uh, Dr. Sloan is the fact that, Hey, don't the, try to read my mind. <laughs> the fact that the, uh, the city fathers had to had to give up uh, the, the red light district downtown. The <laughs> that's a give and take. Well, yeah. That's a give and take. Yeah, that, that's also the city fathers' uh, fine work, uh, uh, Rick, is uh, <laughs> taxing the reservation, the legal that's prostitution right. district, which they is another were, episode. They were just trying to make it safe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so the so the war department insisted that uh, the reservation go away. Of course, prostitution didn't go away, but uh, the red light district did in exchange for granting uh, Waco uh, the great um, and uh, highly, highly profitable Camp MacArthur, 10,000 acres um, out along what, you know, is now um, the area of um, Lakeshore Drive and MacArthur MacArthur Street in in North Waco, a $5 million project, um, 80,000 plus soldiers, uh, over the course of its uh, a little over two years of existence, um, and w- what's what's little known and underappreciated is the fact that Camp MacArthur was largely constructed by Hispanic mm. and African American labor, mm-hmm. uh, and maintained by by Hispanic and African American labor. Um, Hispanics had flocked uh, to Texas uh, to escape the uh, the turmoil of the Mexican Revolution after the turn of the century and um, they had um, many of them had uh, 
uh, were occupying the the former reservation downtown. Yeah, the Cayados. Uh, uh, that's right. Two Cay- Street becomes Cayados. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. That's mm. right. And so they provided the again, uh, you know, cheap labor, cheap, dependable, very productive labor. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, you know I talked about it a second ago about infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you know mentioned ten thousand over ten thousand acres. At the time, a five million dollar price tag to build out the uh, the base, but uh, there, there's an old map. I think it's in the text collection that shows the layout of the camp, mm-hmm. the, the quartermaster's map of the of the camp. And if you, you you know you look in, you zoom in real close, you can see they actually show Hillcrest Hospital. That was uh, the, uh, don't know exactly when Hillcrest was built, but they show it on there. And if you look closely on the map, it shows two big water towers or it shows you know they're just dots on the on the page but they're identified as as water towers now they tore down the old hillcrest a few mm-hmm. years ago but mm-hmm. if you go over there the city of waco still has two very large ground tanks over there mm-hmm. that supply the water and the water pressure for that side of town Interesting. so that that legacy of that infrastructure still goes on today mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's fascinating mm-hmm. Uh, built to hold uh, 45,000 soldiers, uh, never going to hold more than about 28,000 mm-hmm. at one time. But, Mike, you were talking about how big is Waco during this period, about the, the population of Waco? Well, Rick, you mentioned the fact that the population doubled. To, uh, right. So yeah. uh, you do the math. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm bad at math. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have the exact uh, population figures from uh, the 19-teens. But yeah, I mean, so you, you can think if, if it's going to hold, uh, never hold more than 28,000, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, that's a huge influx of population that mm-hmm. matched the population mm-hmm. of the actual city. That's right. remarkable. Right. Um, so the soldiers that they that that came in there, I think they're I know at least three places they came from. Some came from the Texas Mexico border mm-hmm. and were brought back up to be mm-hmm. um, trained to go over to France, and then uh, <clears throat> National Guardsmen from Michigan and Wisconsin mm-hmm. came down and did their training before uh, heading to France. <clears throat> and I think after those initial groups were shipped off. Uh, that replacements started coming in and being trained as well. Mm-hmm. We have to remember that there were also black soldiers uh, serving in the United States military at the time, as had been the case all the way back to the colonial era. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were uh, fighting for uh, freedom, and um, most personally, they were fighting for their their equality. They uh, believed, like so many black uh, servicemen, uh, men and women over the course of United States history that if they did their duty and uh, served honorably that they would gain the respect that would merit them Mm -hmm. uh, full civil rights and not only civil rights but respect Mm -hmm. from the the white population. And um, the the soldiers who were uh, black soldiers serving uh, at Camp MacArthur during this period were uh, mainly uh, uh, serving as, uh, as guards. Um, they, they provided the security, especially during Reconstruction. Uh, they were very, very important in, in guarding the, the facilities. And so being from, from the north, uh, they went downtown and they wanted access to, yeah. to facilities. Uh, 
mm-hmm. uh, restaurants and, and uh, entertainment venues. And uh, white people in Waco didn't want them to have access. And so a white mob, on at least one occasion, uh, assembled and um, there was violence and um, uh, shooting, in fact. Uh, fortunately, no- nobody was uh, hurt very badly, but uh, the Army uh, held a court-martial and um, six black soldiers were, were court-martialed, although all they were doing is asking for equal treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know there was a lot of interaction between the soldiers and the city, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. as you mm-hmm. might imagine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, of course, this was just a couple of years after the lynching of Jesse Washington, mm-hmm. which had, been occur- had occurred in 1916. And Waco still, uh, you know, had a, had, a, had a reputation for the so-called Waco horror, mm-hmm. the lynching of Jesse Washington. And that was around the time of the resurgence of the Klan, mm-hmm. I believe, and mm-hmm. throughout Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. A couple of things I'd I'd like to mention about Camp MacArthur. Uh, talk about the some of the infrastructural legacies. Talk about the water towers. There's part of town we call Chimney Hill, mm-hmm. and uh, that that is actually from the chimney the, uh, uh, the the artifact of the chimney that was in the officers. Um, uh, lounge area officers mess officers, yeah, yeah quarters are mess and um although the wooden parts of the building are gone now the actual chimney still exists and that part of town got got named uh, chimney hill mm-hmm. um another thing I've, I've actually got in studio oh my goodness yeah so our our listeners might can hear that but i've got a jar full of spent um 30-06 rounds 30 caliber rounds that interestingly enough, one of my sons uh, came to me a few years ago. We live near Wet Lake Waco, and similar to now, where the water had receded quite a bit because of a drought. Uh, in parts of the beach, uh, the, the beach area where we were, that kind of backed up to the escarpment was obviously at some point a target uh, target range, mm-hmm. shooting range, because there was just there was literally thousands of spent rounds in the in the sand and the gravel. Oh wow! Yeah. So it makes sense. You got twenty eight thousand troops. They got to go shoot somewhere, mm-hmm. and you need a good backstop when you shoot. So you you know you know how the the escarpment drops off into that Lake Waco area. Mm-hmm. That's that was their their natural shooting range. I see. Went and uh, harvested uh, some of that. Well, it's actually you know it's trash. This yeah. is lead and copper. It doesn't <laughs> doesn't belong in a waterway. So uh-huh. I was trying to clean up the environment. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Perpetually a community servant, Rick Tullis. That's that's what I was doing, and I thought it was really cool. Um, I also like to mention the legacy of the family legacies that were left, and the the one I know about is a good friend of mine named uh, Charlie Olson. In fact, we mentioned his brother, mm-hmm. Ambas- Ambassador uh, Lyndon Olson Jr., on one of our uh, other podcasts. Their, I believe, their grandfather was one of the soldiers that came down from up north and uh served and ended up moving back to waco and liked it so much he stayed that's right so uh when, when you think about some of the other benefits that and maybe the forefathers saw that too hey it's a way to grow our population we can get more people to after the war's over come back and and locate uh, i mean how famous. are you going to keep them down on the farm after they've seen waco yeah I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well it's like i tell my friends now who move from up north it's like uh yeah you, you missing those winters up north uh, <laughs> and usually they say no but um 
Yeah. Um, it's Camp MacArthur. We didn't really talk about the name, where the name came from. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, many folks may be thinking Douglas MacArthur, but that that, that is was, wrong. He right? was but a boy. Yeah. One of my favorite name generals of all time is General Arthur MacArthur. That's right. Yeah. And so made made famous in the Philippines, but uh, Arthur MacArthur. That's right. Is, is who that is named after. Yeah. One of the uh, uh, I think they're the, one of the few. They may not be the only, but the, the few father-son combinations to have won the Congressional Medal of Honor. Douglas and Arthur, that is. Mm-hmm. I don't have that in front of me, but I'm going to take your word for it. Well, why, uh, why would I lie on a podcast? <laughs> that sounds like a Jeopardy question. Right? It yeah. does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Well, well let's, you were, yeah, uh, let me pivot uh, as I, I started to do earlier. Uh, because because I, I was looking it up to make sure Richfield High School, which yeah. Richfield is one word in Richfield High School. It's actually supposed to be rich space field. And that comes from another uh, Great War facility here in Waco. Uh, of course, uh, we had gone airborne uh, by World War One when the Great War came along. And so another facility uh, Waco gets is uh, is a Army air base. Uh, along with um, MacArthur, we talked about this this army base that's put in place, and it is Richfield Army Air Base. And uh, for, so, if we're looking at a contemporary map of Waco, Rick, where are we going to find? It's Richfield? real easy to find Richfield uh, if you know where um, Waco High School is, if you know where the Extra Events Center uh, is located, and, and pretty much that whole block that you have to drive around off of Lake Air. Uh, that was the original field, right? You know, the lion's den, all that stuff. Um, that was the original airfield. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. was, it was a grass airfield. Uh, I think it had some, some runways marked on it, but they, they, didn't have, uh, they didn't need concrete back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that lion's den structure you mentioned is a, is a structure from... Yeah, the contemporary... Uh, the, yeah, contemporary structure from World War I, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah, yeah. When you walk inside and you look up, um, because there's a, an event hall on the back of it now mm-hmm. that got added at some point. So if you're in the event hall and you're looking back towards the original building, I think it still says something like, Welcome to Waco. It says um, Waco Municipal Airport. Okay. I have a picture of it in my phone because I was in that facility not that long ago. And so that would have been what it becomes is what yes. our first uh, municipal airport. Yeah. Yeah, and there's some interesting photographs hanging on the wall. Very interesting as photographs you, as you come in the door mm-hmm. um, of of the old Rich Field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So named for uh, Second Lieutenant C. Perry Rich, uh, who dies when his plane crashes into Manila Bay in the Philippines in 1912. Mm-hmm. So that's where that name comes from, just mm-hmm. to keep uh, that naming going. Uh, so what are they doing out there at Rich Field, Rich? Well, to talk about the infrastructure site again, it was another 690 acres and another $2 million on top of what we already talked about for Camp MacArthur um, that wasn't included in those numbers. That's back when a million was a lot of money. That's when, yeah, mm. back before you, you know, it's what they pay you at, at, uh, at Baylor now. Yeah, year, that's, so. uh, Mike, that's just what Mike gets. Yeah. Stipend every year. 
So it's funny that uh, Woodrow Wilson, the president at the time, they realized how far, you know, the Wright brothers had flown in 03. And, we, you know, America had been the first to fly, but that technology spread uh, a lot faster in Europe because the, the drums of war had been beating there a lot longer. They'd actually already been at war. So that had spurned a lot of innovation and, and talent around uh, aeronautics. So they were much more advanced than the U.S. was. Uh, so Wilson re- recognized that and got congressional support to put a lot of money into aviation. And we were uh, the beneficiaries of that. They ended up training about 400 pilots in Waco for the war. And remarkably, considering the the dangers involved, only lost eight, had eight fatalities. Yeah, because you're when you say rudimentary flight, uh, you're 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 hitting it right on the head. I mean, as far mm-hmm. as what they're doing out there, mm-hmm. and the, those pilots um, received additional training and, of course, experience when they got to France. Um, the um, the French um, Air Force um, uh, officers, uh, you know, provided them with a lot of practical mm-hmm. advice and 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 real hands-on training to help them be effective. Uh, there were literally tens of thousands of American aircraft um, that uh, helped uh, win the Allied cause in in World War One mm-hmm. in in Europe. Let me mention one thing about uh, the old Richfield too. Mm-hmm. As as you all know, uh, Waco High um, is the um, original facility of, of Richfield High School, and it's in undergoing massive renovations and expansion. And there is a, a, a historic uh, a relic that survives from mm-hmm. the old Richfield, which is the original uh, flagpole. And mm-hmm. I, I believe it's um, um, either a, a, a made of um, a cypress or perhaps heart pine, but I think it's probably cypress. And so it's, it, it's been, you know, relatively um, uh, safe over the years and has survived. It's very hardy, but it, 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 its paint has, you know, crumbled away and it's, uh, it's weather beaten. And so um, here in the last couple of months, uh, my friend um, uh, Brad Willis and I, um, uh, who was uh, my classmate at, at Richfield, uh, we graduated together in 1971, have been on a campaign to save the old flagpole, which mm-hmm. uh, is uh, on the grounds of, uh, of Waco High. And so the idea, the plan is to uh, move it indoors mm-hmm. so that it'll be, it'll be safe and, and it'll be prominently um, featured uh, when you walk in the building, and it will be properly memorialized. There will be there will be plaques there that uh, tell the story of um, uh, not only the flagpole but also the importance of of Richfield, mm-hmm. the air base. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's good work, Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, as you alluded to, after the war, they the military uh, t- basically turned over the airfield to the city of Waco. <coughs> it became the Waco Municipal Airport. Uh, you know, and, and operated that way. I think they had some, they did pilot training out there. Uh, um, also had some commercial flights. I think by the 30s, there's some early, commercial service. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Early commercial flights. So they were canceling flights out of Waco as early as the <laughs> 1930s. Don't, don't talk like that. Sorry. 
we got to support the local economy, okay? Um, but but it was uh, being built for uh, biplanes. The uh, the runways were not uh, began to not be long enough mm-hmm. for modern aircraft to have, to have room to uh, take off and land. So uh, <clears throat> really in the 30s, the city of Waco started looking at other uh, opportunities or what they were going to do for future growth um, or to have a, have a different facility. And we'll, we'll probably talk about that a little bit more here in a second. Um, and then uh, they actually had ended up using it, the city, through the end of World War II before it was closed for good. And, and then in 1951, so not too long afterwards, uh, they got redeployed so to speak, and that's when HOT Coliseum was built on site. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, uh, as as Mike mentioned, Richfield in 1960. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Richfield High School, and also a feature that folks are very nostalgic about in Waco Lions Park, uh, which is being <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, reimagined right now mm-hmm. as we as mm-hmm. we speak as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of generations of Wacoans have fond memories of going down the slide or mm-hmm. uh, t- taking the uh, Merry-go-round at Lions Park. I, hey, taking dates to put, play putt-putt at, uh, at Big Lions, Spender, Lions uh, Mike Parrish. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember on that slide, you, yeah, you, you had to be careful. No, no, you needed to take wax paper. That was yeah. the secret. You put a little wax paper under your burlap sack, and you mm. could really get some speed mm. on that slide. Mm. Mm. Yep. Well, you set it up well to transition then from uh, Richfield to Blackland. So, so unless there's something we need to get, we need to hit at between wars here that you guys know of in the in the 20s or 30s in the, at Richfield, I don't. Um, but the the city of Waco did start to plan for the next airfield, and we're actually in the process of building the, a new airport where. The Waco Airport is now right mm-hmm. out out towards China Spring. Uh, when World War II hit, so uh, again, we were well positioned. Uh, right, yeah. right, right. So again, the mm-hmm. the the military was was because they after World War One, the the military uh, um, had greatly re- reduced again. Right, the the peacetime and the reservation did not reopen. Right? <laughs> no, okay, no, not that I know of. Okay, and. And so they had to quickly, uh, again, muster for war. And to do that, they needed facilities and went on a, went on a campaign to, to get there as quickly as they could. And one of the opportunities they saw was, hey, Waco's already building a new airport, a modern, you know, concrete uh, airport. Um, and so they started off by just, hey, we're going to take over your project, leasing it from the city, and then eventually building it out, finishing the build-out of the uh, – uh, of it for their purpose. Uh, do you know the story of the naming uh, of, I mean, I'm assuming it's referencing the, the, the fertility and the richness of the soils. Yeah, just the area? geology of the, okay. of the ground out there. Blackland prairies of, of mm-hmm, Texas. Mm-hmm. So this is B- Blackland Army Airfield. And so uh, we're going to do a pivot here in a minute. And that's not where, no longer where our planes are going to be located. But at this point, that's a branch of the Army, the Ar- Army Air Corps. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 1942, it, uh, we saw the training of pilots who uh, flew B-17s, B-24s, B-25s, and B-26 bombers, as well as uh, many other pilots being trained uh, during, during World War II. 
And uh, so when does that pass back to the, the city? Was it officially our well? It looks like they, it became inactive uh, shortly after the the surrender of the Japanese in October of '45, and it looks like it kind of sat dormant for a little while. But uh, or maybe uh, it may have still been used in some some regard locally. But by 1950, the facility was disposed of uh, and deeded back over to the local government. The, uh, it's not the only place, however, uh, in World War II where uh, there's training going on. No, it's not. And let me just pause here again from the economic development perspective. Mm-hmm. What a great thing for the federal government to show up in your community, spend millions of dollars developing an asset, and when they get done with it, they go, oh, you can have it, local government. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, like I said, we've we've been... Waco as a as a community has been the uh, beneficiary of that many cycles over here mm-hmm. as we see mm-hmm. as we talk through. So the government facilities. does not just take; it gives <laughs> as well as what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, you might say that I don't know. <laughs> so the uh, the the thing that I was intimating about earlier or hinting at, and there's a lot going on in World War II. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of things we're going to hit on with World War II, but uh, Waco Army Airfield uh, is another thing that I want to mention. So we can think of Blackland going out in China Springs, but mm-hmm. over in Bell Mead, uh, there's other activity as well. Right, so um, again, before the war, local officials lobbied the feds to build another base in Waco. They saw, the, saw that opportunity. And if you think about aviation at the time, and you're, and you're trying to train people, you know, what do you need? You need lots of good weather for flying. Yeah. And we got that, right? Uh, we do. Yeah. So year round, you're able to to fly in this area. Of course, we all know there's a day or two when things are not, not great. Um, but on the whole, the, 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 the military had done a media large media. They'd done a weather search of the, uh, of, of the U S <laughs> And meteorological, it, I think, is survey, meteorological survey. Yes, yeah, I would something like that. This is where like the that. PhD really kicked in. Go is, ahead. Is how I would say it, if I could say it right. But the, and at the time, you see a lot of bases showing up in Texas. Uh, a lot of them that we don't necessarily think of, you know, Love Field in Dallas. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got all the, the, the fields down in around I think San this Antonio. is really true about the Southwest, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Um, Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. Yep. As well as San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Texas was a great beneficiary uh, uh, at that time. So this was another opportunity. And in August of 1941, construction began on uh, 1,162 acres that the uh, county had acquired for that purpose, which I saw that as a theme with, really with all these bases. The local government would go acquire the land for the federal government to come in so you know there there was a there was work on our side to 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 get Mm -hmm. ready um to accept those uh those projects to come to to town the waco army airfield as it was originally named began uh, pilot training in the spring of 1942 so not too long after the beginning of hostilities um they trained several hundred pilots uh, 
And then after the war, uh, the base went inactive for three years. Mm-hmm. In 1947, it was reopened because, you know, what happened right after World War II? The Cold War. That's right. And so they realized, hey, we, we and, and that a major part of that mm. the Cold War experience was, was the growth of an Air Force. In fact, by 1947, it was the Air Force. Uh, the Army mm-hmm. Air Corps was, um, uh, or, or the Air Force was born out of the Army Air Corps. It came out of uh, a, a new, new branch new, of the service. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it is uh, named Connolly. Air Force Base, and then in in 1950 they add James, so James Connolly Air Force Base, which is a local connection in the name. It does. So James T. Connolly, Con- Connolly was from Waco, uh, has a really interesting um, career himself as an aviator. He was actually born in McGregor. Oh well, so I give the shout out to incorporate the, okay. okay. And this isn't the McGregor history podcast. So <laughs> we're just absorbing. They got to get their own podcast. We're absorbing the outlying areas. Uh, really interesting uh, career. Um, in in 1941, so this is before. Um, I mean, he flies airmail for the army in the 1930s. He's a longtime aviator. But in 1941, he's in one of the, the first shipments of B-17s to the British. So the British didn't have any heavy bombers, and so the U.S. Mm-hmm. is supplying the British with their heavy bombing corps. And so he goes over uh, in 1941, and so he's on some of the early missions during World War II, James D. Connolly, and he's also in, unfortunately, his last mission is one of the last missions uh, during World War II, and so he's a very active aviator uh, throughout the war. He uh, w- wins a Distinguished Flying Cross uh, for a mission that destroyed a Japanese tanker and rescued 23 stranded U.S. pilots. So he was a, a very decorated aviator throughout his career. But that's that's who the Air Force Base is named for, right? And and I did say he was born in McGregor, but he did graduate from Waco High mm-hmm. in 1927. Went on to A&M, uh, graduated in 32, and and then into the Army Air Corps. Now, we, we've anchored Richfield and we've anchored uh, Black, Blackland uh, where they are on the map. So where are we when we're talking about uh, Connolly Air Force Base for folks that are not longtime Wacoans? Well, if you know how to get to TSTC, you'll get there. Mm-hmm. It's in yeah. Belmead. That's right. <laughs> Again, we're stepping on the Belmead History Podcast, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's where it is. So TSTC L three, right? right? I mean, Harris, I'll, I'll, yeah. yeah. All all those facilities that are out there are going to be uh, connected to the story of Connolly. So, uh, Rick, what is Connolly? What are the, what are they doing out at Connolly? What's the focus of that work there at the Air Force Base? Yeah, so they they did a lot of uh, navigator training. Um, you know, really the larger uh, bomber crew type training um, and getting them ready. So, so think, think about that, that time in history, history, when you, aviation history, there's a, uh, a, a changeover from prop to jets and from subsonic jets to supersonic jets. And all that leads, and since, since that was a training base um, for for people, for crews manning those kind of planes, 
uh, that that runway and that infrastructure was really built pretty stout. It's it's uh, I don't I don't I don't know exactly uh, if it is the longest runway uh, in Texas, but I know that the that that original runway has been a huge asset for our community in many ways. Um, it was uh, it was the, the the landing place for George Bush when he would come in on Air Force One. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was designated as a emergency landing place for the shuttle flights back in the days when when the the uh, shuttle was uh, flying overhead. Um, so it's a significant amount of infrastructure, and I've been out there to many air shows. Mm-hmm. Huge tarmac area, uh, lots of room, um, um, and and really even today from an economic development standpoint. Uh, companies like L3 Harris are out there, but uh, there's an active uh, effort to try to grow the aviation sector and a- aviation economy of, of Waco, and that's one of our huge selling features. Hmm. Yeah, and just to, the James T. Connolly story, I don't know that I said that. He's he's leading a flight of B-27s over Yokohama. B-29s. B-29s. Yeah, B-29s. 27, 29, whatever yeah. it takes. No, th- those are big difference. Uh, B-29s when uh, he shot down in, in May uh, of 1945 a, a, a mission over Yokohama. So he almost makes it to that August um, armistice uh, with, with Japan, but doesn't quite make it there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to stay, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the you know, the dissolution of Connolly Air Force Base. I don't want to ruin the story for some of you. But it's it's going to go away at some point, and that's an interesting story as well uh, historically. Uh, but one of my other favorite uh, kind of interesting uh, World War II sites that that continues to have life in the community is Blue Bonnet Ordnance Plant. Mm-hmm. So when we think about uh, mobilizing uh, a economy to fight a war. Uh, it's not just about supplying servicemen and, and uh, equipping. Uh, it's it's about uh, producing munitions, uh, production to support the war effort. And so, what was Blue Bonnet's ordnance plant? Well, it was located out in McGregor, <clears throat> established in 1942. It was one of only four plants uh, in the United States that um, actually produced bombs uh, during. World War II, it uh, operated uh, in many ways like a, uh, an old-fashioned company town. Mm. It included uh, 5,000 workers, men, women, uh, children with all kinds of uh, facilities that allowed them to, to live uh, very, very nearby. And um, it was um, highly secretive. Uh, mm-hmm. it, there, was, there was very high security at the Blue Bonnet Ordnance Plant. So it produced uh, three different types of bombs, a semi-armor piercing bomb, a general purpose bomb, and fragmentation bomb. The largest bombs weighed up to 2,000 pounds, while these little fragmentation bombs, which were also known as parachute bombs, weighed about 23 uh, pounds. But and it, there, for a time in there, the, the plant also produced its own ammonium nitrate explosives for the bombs themselves. So there's, there's a lot of activity going on out at Blue Bonnet Ordnance Plant. And, of course, this, uh, this is uh, 
You know, as we move from unemployment during the Great Depression, we moved to overemployment in World War II. And so mm-hmm. bringing women in mm-hmm. to, to the workforce and uh, it, it was an active enterprise out there at Blue Bonnet to support the war. Yeah. So it took uh, about 5,000, as peak, 5,000 people out there working. And at the time, McGregor was only about 2,000 people uh, in its total population. So, um, yeah, Mike's right. It, it, a, a company town concept probably does make the most sense. I mean, they had to create a community out there with mm-hmm. uh, everything, got to figure out how to feed the people, mm-hmm. have somewhere where they can they can sleep, entertainment, mm-hmm. the whole thing. A huge economic boon to uh, Waco and McLennan County, to say the least. Mm-hmm. So 13 million bombs, over 13 million bombs produced wow. there. Um, and, and anecdotally, <clears throat> at least I've, I've read stuff through Viet, you know, about the Vietnam War, some mm-hmm. other places, they're still using those munitions. I mean, not necessarily from Blue Bonnet, but the munitions produced for World War II get used for decades after because mm-hmm. there's still so much of it around. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So they're, uh, I guess they're shipping it in and out via rail. Yeah, that's exactly r- right. Rail yeah. spur. So mm-hmm. I think of that McGregor, if you want to take a people train, mm-hmm. now you go to McGregor because uh, mm-hmm. of that rail connection they have out in McGregor. I imagine mm-hmm. they're using that for this. Uh, during World War II. Yeah, so if you look, uh, take a get on Google Earth and look at that <clears throat> that area, you can still see the the remnants. Um, I think there were four or five different facilities where they actually produced them. Per, you know, uh, packed the bombs. The casings were made elsewhere, and then they would pour in the explosives and and put the nose and the tail cones on and all the or nose cone and the tail onto them. Load them up. Wait, wait carefully load them up <laughs> yeah they were trying to go as fast yeah, as we're yeah, trying to yeah, go in this, this podcast. where we slowed down yeah, a little bit yeah, yeah. and uh, they're still out there you can drive around there and see these really long warehouse buildings mm-hmm. that uh you know the, the train would drive into they would load them up uh, as they complete the manufacturer you can see uh, again from the google earth all the connecting uh where the rail rail tracks would have connected all these buildings and see the circuits where they went. Um, then they would leave those buildings and go out, uh, out past, uh, mother Neff parkway area. Mm-hmm. I think that Texas A&M has a research center out there. Now they were the beneficiaries of some of this property when it got abandoned and out there, if you drive down that mother Neff parkway, you start seeing all these funny looking half buried Quonset huts yeah. out in the middle mm-hmm. of, Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're remarkable. You can see them from the road. Yeah. yeah. So what's that? So that's where they stored the or- ordinance once it was it was completed. They uh, obviously you don't want to set off a chain reaction, so you mm-hmm. want to um, spread them out as much as possible. Yeah. So you'll see these big berms that are built up, kind of beside uh, these storage facilities uh, where they were st- uh, storing munitions. Yeah. So really. Fascinating from a uh, manufacturing and engineering point of view, how they laid all that out. They spread these. It was was a huge amount of land out there that they used. Um, But you obviously, if you've got these different manufacturing areas, you want them pretty far apart from one another. (laughs) So if one goes up, they don't all go up. Well, uh, there's also a Cold War story for that site as well. We talked about uh, Connolly 
Waco Army Air Force Base becoming Connolly, a Cold War story. Uh, there's also a Cold War story for Blue Bonnet Ordnance Plant as well. It obviously closes, mm-hmm. uh, but it, ha- it has life again as Rocketdyne. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the uh, Air Force um, insisted on te- testing rockets um, out there uh, near, near Blue Bonnet and uh, Phillips Petroleum rocket fuels division was established there to help uh, support the air force testing and uh, during the late 1950s rocket dyne solid propulsion operations was established and flourished there for about 20 years producing testing uh, all kinds of engines but the the big specialty was uh, rocket engines yeah, by about 1960, uh, McGregor could static test uh, small-scale rocket motors with up to 5,000 pounds of thrust and 5,000 pounds of propellant uh, at the at the multiple kind of firing bays that they had there mm-hmm. uh, at the facility. Yeah, the part of the story I thought was was really interesting was it was their rockets that they were producing there or testing and. Um, that got used on the Apollo missions. Mm-hmm. That's right. They yeah. they were a big part of the success of Apollo. Yeah. So the, so space is now connected. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. To uh, McGregor uh, and McLennan County. Uh, they also produced uh, JADO rockets for the U.S. Air Force. These jet-assisted takeoff rockets. These mm-hmm. kind of huge rockets they would attach to to get more boost. So to, you could take off of a shorter airfield. Get, yeah, that's right, to get lift off. Yeah. And then later, I uh, uh, don't know exactly when the conversion went from rocket down to Hercules. Uh, in fact, I remember, um, I do know when Hercules closed, though, that uh, that was the time I, I bought my first house in Hewitt, Texas, from a, from a gentleman and his family who were being relocated because Hercules just closed oh, really? down. Interesting. It was sold and, and uh, uh, they were uh, consolidating the, the company somewhere back back east. So that was in 1994, mm-hmm. I believe. But Hercules produced a series of missiles not, you know, at that point for the Air Force. I think they did uh, uh, air-to-air uh, missiles for uh, uh, air-to-air combat. Um, and, and, and then I think after that, after Hercules left, kind of went through a kind of a period of dormancy. I think it got turned back over to the city of McGregor, or at least parts of it did. Mm-hmm. City of McGregor started looking for ways to uh, generate uh, economic development out of it, uh, just like they're doing today. Again, getting back to that theme, have the, have the federal government come in and build a bunch of infrastructure for you and then leverage it for your future growth of your community. Um, and now, <laughs> I was gonna get. I was gonna get somebody to do that. Rumble, 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 rumble. As, uh, at as, odd hours of the night, <laughs> uh, window pane rattling. Yes, uh, and breaking. Occasionally. Uh, yeah, the sensation that we get mm-hmm. from the, out to the west. What is that? It's the sound of economic developments. What it is, <laughs> Stephen, and, and a very, very eccentric kind of uh, well, kind of owner. So, so, you know, you think of uh, serendipity here a little bit. 
I mean, obviously this facility, it was a it manufactured bombs and they started doing rockets and, and somehow there was an entrepreneur in the nineties, uh, out of the Dallas Fort Worth area, uh, last name Beal, B-E-A-L, who started a company called Beal Aerospace. He had visions for, um, commercial rocket launches, I think for, for satellites. And he, uh, I guess had, had the money and had the, <clears throat> had the the vision to to um, test rockets out there, built a test stand actually, a modern a rocket test stand, and then he ran out of money. Mm. Yeah, but that's not the end of the story. No, Stephen. I think that's no. where it ends. No. I, th- I think that's where it ends. Then yeah. another yeah. wealthy guy yeah. with a lot of vision. Because I've heard that rumbling lately. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's 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 been recently. I've felt that rumbling. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. so. Uh, uh, Mr. Musk, I'm not sure how he found out about this uh, this being a facility to test rockets, and, and I'm assuming there's probably some in regulations, environmental stuff. I mean, there's probably mm-hmm. some hurdles to say, hey, I'm going to go open up my new rocket test range somewhere. There's probably some. So some, you're saying if you are a rocket test range, it's likely yeah. you might continue to be a rocket you're, test range. You're probably already pre-approved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I, that's. So this is 2002, 2003, where um, they begin, SpaceX begins to acquire uh, some of this property out in McGregor. Uh, and it builds into, and I've never been on location. Rick, have you been out to SpaceX to mm-hmm. oh, see yeah. the operation? Yeah, yeah. Tell us about I'm, I'm very familiar with their air conditioning. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's 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 several buildings spread out. They they have they have um, added to it. Uh, you know, there's some legacy buildings that they that they've uh, used and adapted, but uh, a lot of new construction since then. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, test stands for large rockets and small rockets. You know, when you're when you're uh, maneuvering in space, you're not using the big rocket on the back of the thing. Mm-hmm. You got lots of little thrusters. And so those are those are part of uh, what they're testing out there as well, um, and they're and they're getting to the point where they're going to uh, manufacture engines. I think the the uh, effects, uh, some of the effects of COVID, and you know the desire for some companies to to leave California, get to Texas, whatever whatever those reasons those reasons are. Uh, they they had decided at some point to move some of their manufacturing here to Waco or assembly of those rocket engines, so it's not just testing anymore. It's, mm-hmm. it's moved beyond that. Well, they got some space out there, right? I mean, they've got some. Oh yeah, room yeah. to grow. Yeah, there's there's, there's capacity. There's out still there. uh, a lot of acreage out there, and and the city of McGregor has done a great job of of attracting other businesses. Uh, currently under construction there's a company a german company called kanaf c-n-a-u-f which is an insulation manufacturer that's in the process of building a a new modern plant out there that's going to be a huge boost for the economy mm-hmm. um it and in the world of economic development i think i, I don't remember i don't know the exact numbers i think it's sort of, there's still like a thousand acres available out there for economic development and uh it's a it's a certified uh mega site so that means you know there there's certifications for everything but but it's got the right kind of power and infrastructure water rail access you know things that uh, companies that want to um, uh, 
big manufacturing operations would need, uh, the, the the facility's already been vetted for that. So at some point, mm-hmm. you know, there's a good chance that that McGregor will get even more economic development out there, more uh, manufacturing or something uh, up there. Mm-hmm. And SpaceX works uh, hand in glove uh, with the uh, the federal government and and uh, especially the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, both both operations, uh, the public sector and the private sector uh, benefit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike, you did a whole episode on Doris Miller uh, as we mm-hmm. kind of, we started this story in World War II at Blue Bonnet Ordnance Plant. And so um, I'm just interested, it's been a couple of years since we did that podcast episode where we talked about Doris Miller. Um, as you've, you know, then we didn't have the memorial mm-hmm. uh, like we have in town now. And I think your book was just coming out at the time in which we did that podcast. So I'm interested, any any uh, epilogues you want to add to the Doris Miller story as far as things that have kind of, as you've thought more about it, and I think he's also the, the aircraft carrier. Mm, yeah. That designation has happened since <clears throat> we, and so there's been developments there, but, but any other thoughts you want to share with us on the, kind of the significance of that? Uh, Doris Miller, the Waco one? Well, my book uh, got uh, picked up by a, a publisher in France. Fantastic! And so you can actually buy Doris and, Miller and read it in French. For, and read it in French. Wow! Yeah, I have to learn yeah. French first, but yeah. Yeah, but I think the the uh, uh, aircraft carrier, the huge um, uh, Ford class mm-hmm. aircraft carrier, uh, is on the drawing board. Um, actually, it's already under construction, and so it, it's it's kind of inevitable. But these things take a lot of time. It it won't be launched, uh, you know, for another decade. Mm-hmm. But uh, assuming Congress doesn't, uh, you know, pull the funding, it's a, it's a win win, um, a win for for the military, uh, but also a win in the ongoing struggle for uh, for civil rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What has it been like for you to have seen, uh, I know you worked mm-hmm. on the uh, memorial project um, with many others that worked on that effort to raise the money for that. What, what has it been like to see that kind of have a place in the community over the last uh, couple of years? Well, it's been great. Um, it's become a real icon of the Waco community, every, every bit as much as the suspension bridge and um, McLean Stadium and uh, the silos mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever um, we we promote Waco and whenever we 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 talk about Waco and encourage uh, people to consider coming to Waco and and touring Waco, uh, the memorial and the the statue, which is uh, extremely impressive and inspiring, um, it. Um, it uh, it's it's listed you know right up there uh, near or at the top, mm-hmm. so um, I'm very very gratified about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, lo- I love how it adds to the tapestry of Waco's outdoor spaces. Great cities mm-hmm. have great outdoor spaces, mm-hmm. and uh, we're 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 getting a, a lot of momentum in that part of town, and mm-hmm. and I, I think it's a great outdoor space now. Mm-hmm. It's only getting better yeah. over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Rick, why don't you tell us about the 12th Air Force? Because I remember, yeah, so you, I remember being excited one. about this. So, yeah, yeah. And this is uh, funny, having been in Waco since 87, it was only a few years ago that I actually learned this tidbit or trivia about Waco. And it, it's funny, I learned it. I was I was in Lake City, Colorado with my family vacationing, vacationing and we were in this um, this artist's uh, shop. And so I start, you know, talking to him, asking about him, and he finds out we're from Waco, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I went to high school in Waco. My my dad uh, was part of the Twelfth Air Force, you know, part of the command for the Twelfth Air Force." Like what? You know. Anyway, so I got the story from him. So essentially, uh, you know, Twelfth Air Force is a storied uh, part of of uh, f- originally the Army Air Corps, like we talked about a minute ago, and then then the Air Force. Um, but in, as the Cold War evolved, they ended up moving it out of, uh, out of Ramstein, Germany, to putting the command here in Waco in 1958. Um, they, uh, uh, you know, they, they were kind of associated, they were associated with James Connolly, but their headquarters was actually at 25th and Windsor, right about, if you think of that little part of that area, that part of town, St. Louis uh, Church mm-hmm. is right there, Catholic Church. And the, there's some vacant lots around there. I'm not sure which one, but the building was actually on one of the vacant lots. The, the building doesn't exist any longer. Um, um, but the, they, their, their base of operations was here, and you know they focused on, on training tactical air crews and uh, keeping them in a state of readiness. I mean, if you, we've all seen the... Uh, you see, you've seen video or footage of air crews running out to their planes as you know they're practicing these alert drills and getting planes in the air with with uh, nuclear warheads, all that stuff. So that's that's a uh, big part of what they were doing. Hmm. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah, that that's a a layer of this that I wasn't aware of either uh, until recently. Uh, Mike, I want to ask you a question. So you're the only native Waco in in the room. So. Uh, West Texas, East Texas, uh, Rick's West Texas, I'm East Texas. Um, you were a young man, but when you heard the news that Connolly Air Force Base closed, talk a little bit about what that was like for the Waco community when Connolly closed. It was absolutely devastating. Um, it happened very suddenly. Um, I was, you know, just uh, still a teenager, mm-hmm. really, but. It was uh, featured in the news um, for um, several days, you know, really more than a week. Mm-hmm. Um, all the ramifications of the closing happened during, um, you know, Lyndon Johnson's um, administration. And um, Johnson was uh, trying to save money all the time. In fact, he was a fanatic about turning off the lights at the White House. <laughs> <laughs> And so, uh, you know, during this time period, the Vietnam War was costing uh, more and more money, uh, 1968. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, uh, the Great Society was, was costing a lot of money. And so Connolly, Connolly was pretty, I mean, uh, Johnson was pretty ruthless about it. Mm-hmm. Of course, there was a great hue and, co- hue and cry from his native state, yeah. Uh, yeah. Texas. And... Um, uh, he by that time he'd already decided not to run <laughs> again yeah. for re-election yeah and so uh, he he authorized the the closing of the base mm-hmm. yeah 
Yeah, it's been uh, the the happy story there is the the second and third life that 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 area has had, mm-hmm. and it's such an important place now uh, for Waco. Uh, well, I want to end. Well, I think we should. Yeah. Uh, is that uh, we're going to talk about the transition, the second life of James Connolly? Well, we mentioned it earlier, TSTC, yeah, L3 I, I Harris. Would, I would yeah. like to mention because people are important. Stephen. Sure. Um, <laughs> I disagree, but go ahead. Okay. Uh, so so Senator Murray Watson, yes. uh, a native mm-hmm. uh, Wacoan, uh, it was really a lot. Of, I'm sure there were a lot of people involved, but he uh, carried a lot of that load down in Austin to um, – get that facility and get it uh, um, uh, part of the Texas A&M system, which originally was the James Conley uh, Technical Institute. And uh, so it was was one of his signature legislation pieces, and I'd like to give him credit. Yes, and uh, we're going to do an academic crossroads uh, episode, and we'll get into a little bit more of kind of TSTC's history, which is or TSTI's history, which is an interesting yep. one. Yep. But uh, as as Rick reminded us, our longest serving uh, part of the story uh, is the Waco VA Hospital. Uh, I think, which a beautiful uh, facility. Uh, it's been open since 1932, so a very long serving uh, federal institution that is in, engaged with our armed forces uh, here. And, and and of course, you can. You can see that out on what we continue to call New Road. It's not uh, new anymore, but it's continued <laughs> right. to call New Road. But tell us a little bit about the Waco VA Hospital, Rick. So like you said, it, it was it was opened in May 8th, 1932. Originally, is about a 500-acre uh, site south of the city, uh, uh, which it's technically— I know, this, it's this Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills. This is yeah. not the Beverly Hills History Podcast. Yeah, boy, but, yeah. We'll say it's the that's greater, a small market. Greater Waco, Greater Waco. So initially, if and if you've seen it, it's it's multiple buildings, right? It's a campus, really, mm-hmm. and uh, it was originally designed for three hundred, a little over three hundred patients. Uh, as uh, it it uh, w- more and more um, care was needed, and its its main a lot of its focus was mental health, mm-hmm. uh, mental health care. Uh, it grew, uh, I think, uh, se- several times. During World War II, it had over 1,100 patients. And uh, by the end of the war, there was over 2,000 patients mm-hmm. being served yeah. at that hospital. Yeah, and we uh, promise we're going to reserve an episode to talk just about the VA hospital. There's some leads for some folks out there, so we'll have a future episode that'll deal with that. Well, we've uh, you've been patient with us as we've covered... Uh, Waco is a military crossroads. We covered a lot of ground, haven't we, Dr. Mm-hmm. Parrish? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any last words you guys want to get in as we think about Waco as military crossroads? Mm. Well, it'll be interesting to see what the future holds. Um, mm-hmm. you know, ho- hopefully we don't have any more uh, wars anytime soon. Uh, but, you know, I, I can say uh, th- there are things going on as, as the uh, – j- just recently in the news – uh, and Austin, um, they they I think they were awarded the Army Futures uh, headquarters, which basically is, from what I know, it's it's a just a um, they're thinking it's a headquarters for the military to really think about uh, the future of warfare. Mm-hmm. 
you know, we as a community have, have been really engaged with them because we think Waco has a lot to offer to the Army Futures Command and, and as far as our resources go. So just to kind of tie a bow on that, how, how this e- economic development side uh, ties in to, to the military side, uh, it's different. You know, we're not, we're not necessarily asking for new bases, but mm-hmm. we're asking to engage from a, uh, whether it's research you know, done at our local universities or uh, talent acquisition, growing talent um, for the uh, for the military or you know future businesses and manufacturing facilities. So mm-hmm. it continues to go, just and, a little different. And uh, I think we should end. I think uh, my my co presenters would agree. My my co uh, my guest and my co host. Would agree. We want to end by thanking all those uh, mm-hmm. from Waco and uh, McLennan County that has served in the military over the years, because we've gone all around the world and to space uh, as we've talked about this history. And I'm just reflecting on all the lives mm-hmm. uh, that this has touched as we've as we've moved through time. And so we want to thank you, men and women, for uh, your service, and thank you for listening today. Agreed. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Waco History Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes so we can reach more listeners. You can find show notes and info on every episode at wacohistorypodcast.com and more info on Waco's past at wacohistory.org. Our theme music, used with permission, is Cross the Brazos at Waco, performed by the late Billy Walker. For more info on Billy's music, go to billywalker.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.